to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. I am one of your hosts, Miss Melmoy. I am the other host, Mr. Craigers. Mr. Craigers. And we are here for our 33rd, what a number, mm-hmm. uh, episode, um, where we, this is the sober companion to our most recent booze and booze of the Netflix the lovely Netflix B horror film. It's called Velisca Axe Murders, right? That's what it was called. It's I think it's called The up. Axe Murders of Velisca. The Last Murders of Velisca. Um, yeah. And as promised, we are doing an actual episode on the real Velisca Axe Murders because they're bananas. <clears throat> um, but a different kind of bananas than that crazy bullshit we just watched yes, for Booze no, and Booze. It's not, it's, <laughs> no, it's like bananas as in I want to sleep with several lights on. Um mm-hmm. And you're wondering why someone hasn't made a movie about this before and why the only movie out there is this really shitty one. Is this? <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, this, that's such a good question, though. Like, this would make an amazing, like, if you did a gritty, like, almost total, in the style of, like, yeah. um, Changeling yes. with Jolie. Yes. Like, if you did that, like, like made a this weird story. combo of that with, like, an actually well done, like, almost like, just very um, moody home invasion film. Like, yes. Craig and yeah. I, the, the, the real podcast is that Craig and I are going to make a movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but yes, we're going to dive into that. Um, but first, before we get too into, you know, the grotesque of uh, the Velisca Axe murders, we've got some horror headlines. Horror headlines. Um, my first one is one, hopefully, so I don't know when tickets are going on sale. Hopefully they don't, it's like a secret, like drop and you better be there type thing. Kind of like when you call into radio. That's for so tickets. stressful. No, yeah. So basically um, what's happening is for the third time in history, Camp uh, Nobi, Nobi Bosco, it's difficult for me to say, <laughs> um, which was the set of... Um, Friday the 13th was the stand-in for Camp Crystal Lake, is opening its doors to um, tours for very dedicated fans um, on October, Friday the 13th. Uh, They have done this twice in the past, in 2011 and 2013, on various Friday the 13th. This year is obviously very special because it's in October. We're all very excited. Um, The camp is located in Morgantown, New Jersey, um... Which, fun fact, there's also a Voorhees, New Jersey, so this is all just, don't go to New Jersey. <laughs> I really want to, like, I really want to know the origin of Voorhees, New Jersey. If it was, bef- if it was something Before else, and then after, renamed yeah. after the franchise, or, like, what? Yeah, it's not, yeah, it's weird, because it's not far from where I grew up, so it would show up on the radio when they were doing, like, the weather. They'd be like, and in Voorhees, and I'm like, what, Why? What for why? For why. Um, but basically they do this very rarely. Um, they you know, the camp is not open to pub the public because it's um property of the Boy Scouts. Um, and basically, for those of you who care about these sorts of things, one hundred percent of the proceeds of your ticket will go to the Boy Scouts. Will go to projects for the Boy Scouts, um, and charity Ooh. therein, which is nice. Um That's cool. Basically, though, the only way you can get tickets is if you join the Camp Nobisco, Nobi Bosco. I missed the second B. It's the second, the second B sound in the name. The Camp Nobi Bosco um, 
oop, mailing oop, list, oop. basically, is what it is. And through the mailing list, they will send out invites to get tickets. They sell out in minutes, as you can imagine. Um, so if you want to do that, it's just going to be nobibosco.org slash tour slash tour dash event backslash. Um, and mm. you can find the details there, everything you're allowed to bring, everything you're not allowed to bring. Um, you know, check-in times, um, policies, also, you know, ticket sales are final, so you better really want it. Um, and some nice before, there's actually some interesting before and after photos of the archery range on that page as well, which you will all remember as a poignant, uh, classic, poignant scene from the film. So, um, if you can make it to Morgantown, New Jersey on Friday the 13th, this October, um, I would definitely say give it a go because the this has happened only twice in the past. Who knows when we're going to get another Friday the 13th in October. You guys yeah. actually probably could easily look that up and find out, but I don't know. Um, and it's it sounds like... That fun. makes it extra special. Yeah. So I would say do it. Do it if you can. Smoke them if you got them. Um, and go for it. Um, at that URL I, I read you guys off. Um, yeah. Excellent headline. Thank you. Love it. Cool, cool, cool. Follow it up. <laughs> um, well, I can kind of connect the oh. two together. Ooh. Um, I saw that yesterday, and like the whole internet sort of just, it was just like a Beyonce drop, horror style, <laughs> that um, a new Hatchet movie in the Hatchet series has been filmed in secret. What? Yeah, it's called Victor Crowley, and it's being released in October. And it's like the whole the same team. Adam Green is directing, who created the original trilogy, and Kane Hodder, who played Jason um, in most of the Friday the Thirteenth movies, is playing Victor Crowley again. Mm-hmm. I know, and it's it's. I, I would it be really, important really enough one day that I can like Beyonce drop a right anything. And I was like, holy You'd have to shit, probably do Beyonce. Wow. I, I love the Hatchet movies. They're so funny and awesome and just such love letters to the great slasher movies from the 80s. And I'm really excited to see what they do next. So wow. I thought that was That's exciting. very exciting news. Yeah. And we don't even have to wait long, you know. They're just like, oh, yeah, we filmed it in secret. We're done. You'll see it in October. <laughs> I was Ooh. like. <laughs> it's it's yeah. all done. Like, It's done. Yeah, it's completely done. Wow. So. That's great. Pretty cool um, stuff. That's awesome. Um, horror headline that isn't a headline, just a general comment. I didn't totally hate Annabelle. <laughs> oh, yeah. You saw it. Do you want to give like a quick like... Uh, yeah, so quick rundown. Second review. Quick rundown. This is... Um, this story is probably one of the very few stories in um, the Conjuring universe that is a complete standalone. Although, there is a very clever... Um, call out to the nun which is coming um next june i believe um there's a nice little clever call out to it it was done very well um it's it connects to the first annabelle backstory film very well although it does change some of the the mythology there uh the scares are very scary and for one scene um they actually used um practical effects basically what ends up happening is a character always usually better well, what it's interesting because basically a character has been killed by being like ripped in half or whatever, because you know, horror. 
Um, and you find this girl ends up in the basement with the top half of this dead body that pops back up awake and starts crawling towards her, which is terrifying. And it's even more terrifying because they used, basically, they hired an amputee actor to play this part. And this, they, you know, it was very exciting. And this, this, this actor who played the part was so into it. And they, you know, dressed him up and just, he crawled, you know, it was terrifying because it was you know it was so real so that was tops are always aggressive (laughs) (laughs) so that was great um it was it was good um it was obviously super tropey um super written in cliches and that sort of thing like the writing and that stuff is what you'd expect the scares were good and I just have always have fun in the Conjuring universe, and um, I'm you know pumped for the nun, even with Baby from Mega busting on the scene in that one. I don't know if she's playing the nun or like she's playing a because there's a different actor cast as Valak the demon nun or whatever. So I don't know. I hope. She, I hope either way, I'm her character is meant to be like a novice in the whatever they call like new nuns, um, Sister right. Maria, if you will, of right. Romania. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. But the, the call, the way they reference the nun in the movie is very clever. And it's literally one of those things where it's like, if you don't look or you blink, like you will miss it. You'll miss it. it. Um, but it was, it was also like, it's just, it's freaky and well done. Um, so I didn't totally hate Annabelle too. Annabelle creation, I guess. Creation. Yeah. Um, nice. Mr. Eric and I are trying to decide. We're like debating if we want to go to the movies at some point this weekend, and then we're debating what we want to see. Because we wanted to see Dark Tower, but it's not playing anywhere around here anymore. And even though it's only been out for, like, a couple weeks. So we're just deciding between Annabelle and um, Wind River, which is supposed to be very good. I would say... Not horror, yeah, but... I would say if we're going for, you know, contact and... Contact, I tried to say context. I don't know what I tried to say. Content! And, um, you know general good night at the cinema i would not go to see <laughs> annabelle creation uh, i went on like a saturday afternoon by myself that was yeah. a good time yeah and that's another thing i i don't i usually don't like to see horror movies on week nights weekend nights like fridays or saturday nights yeah. because it's usually packed with like teeny boppers and 13, screamers 11 year olds and yeah it's screamings and i'm like yeah but it, sometimes you get lucky and and there's nothing quite like getting like a really good audience watching a horror movie, yeah. you know, in a theater. And everyone <laughs> like knows how to watch a horror movie, yeah. but not everybody does. Well, and that was the nice thing too about the showing that I went to because everyone in the theater had the appropriate reaction to the nun call out. Everyone was like, <gasps> you know, just mm-hmm. kind of clutching the pearls. And I was like, good, everyone, everyone gets That's it. it. We all get just, it. Like at least vaguely knows their stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the only other horror headline I have besides all this is obviously we had an announcement earlier in the week. Check it out uh, if you haven't already. I think I just titled it announcement. I don't even know. It's not, a real, it's not a real episode. It's only a couple minutes. Um, but basically we talk about um, <clears throat> we're going to be rebranding soon. Possibly by the time this comes up. Who knows? Maybe you've already, you've already seen it. Um, probably not. Because um, we're fickle. We're fickle beasts. Um we're going to be setting up a Patreon once we get the rewards of that in. Uh, we do know we definitely want to start up a newsletter email list. So that is a thing I guess we will plug at the end if you want to send us. We can start collecting emails or any sort of 
contact information like that. And the Splatter Chatter Book Club. Hey, yo. Mm -hmm. um, where we will once a month discuss a book that we've all totally read and totally didn't, you know, skim before the book club meeting. Um, which I think the first one we might do, since Craig and I both read it, is uh, Final Girls. Final Girls, yeah. Um, later this month or in September, so. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So go listen to that announcement. Get further details on that. It's gonna be. It's gonna be cool. We're gonna be cool. new and fresh and exciting and millennial young and lush and plush and all sorts of things. A little bit drunk. Um, so now you ready to get murdery? Yes. Let's okay. get murdery. So ooh, I think ooh. we should start with where we both respectively first heard about the Bliska Axe murders. Because I okay, know where I, I can pinpoint where I first heard about it. Well, then you go first. Because I have <laughs> to see think about that, it. That shakes anything in your mind. Yeah. So you're going to love this. It's very me. Um, the first time I ever heard about the Velisca Axe murders was in an episode of Ghost Adventures. <laughs> oh my god. Of course it was. <laughs> because they went in like the second or third season, they went to the house. Um, they sure did. And my thing with Ghost Adventures, besides the fact that I love to just basically watch to like bingo drink my way through the episode when somebody says like, you know, like, oh, bro, like I swear to God, bro, there's cold air something right just, here. Something just touched me. So he just touched my leg, bro. I'm I have scratches. Um, that was my Scratch, favorite. Yeah. Where basically Zach Bacon's like took his shirt off and flexed to show us the scratches on his arm in Bobby Mackey's Music World. Um, but anyway, they go to Velisca Axe House and they explain um, basically what happened. And I remember being horrified at the possibility of the way the murders played out, playing out in my own life, in my own home. We all have crawl spaces. We all have dark corners of the house where somebody could easily be lurking. Um, they go in. I mean, it was a whatever, you know, their nonsense with the, oh, we picked up an EVP. You know, that's, you know, whatever. But they they talked to actually a woman who used to live in the house after the, obviously after the incident, since it took place in like, you know, the, the early 20th century, um, who basically just does not go near it. Hates live hates being there, like had an awful childhood there just because the aura in the house, no matter what you believe and, you know, what have you for her, it was not a great time. Um, and I did research on it, got even more scared, obviously, um, as you will too, once we start dishing out the details. But that was the first time I had ever heard. And to, I do think I had heard something about it kind of previously. Like it, it didn't sound super duper... Um, new but that was the first time I really can remember knowing I was like oh the Villisca axe murders that sounds terrifying absolutely yeah. not um that's me uh, I don't know if you've got one or not or you just I don't know if I can pinpoint the origin story here for me yeah I it, it was probably just some sort of yeah, probably like you know one of those like oxygen or lifetime like ghost hunting shows mm -hmm. maybe um maybe like a haunting did an episode i feel like i just remember catching some sort of vague documentary ish television show where they were talking about the house and the murders and the fact that it's possibly haunted and then that sort of sparked it, it definitely i 
whenever it was, it left an impression. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't know. There's something about an axe mm. as a weapon and as or as like a tool of destruction or harm that is so sinister and icky and like the idea of an axe murder just sound just so yeah. well that's like the some, it, it, it sets it apart from all those other sort of iconic weapons you know like chainsaws and machetes and hooks and well that's like the thing Freddy's we... finger there's something about an axe that is just well that's what we say to each other right all the time where we joke we're like yeah he's like get, he's gonna get axe murdered or like there was an axe murderer who lived there like for whatever yeah, reason that like is the, the highest degree of murder yeah like there is no worse murder than than being an axe murderer for some reason Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's obviously, you know, just think about it. the hacking the you know, like the scene of, um, in American Psycho with, um, Patrick Bateman and his crazed face while he, he uses an axe at one point, like it's such a weird, you know, not to like delve too much into like how, how one picks murder implements, but you know, it's like, it's such a violent tool amongst violent things like you know there's so many options not again like it's weird to say it's like there's so many options you have you chose an axe like it's almost like a beating someone with a blunt object but it just happens to also have you know this this tapered edge to it so it's like geez like you're combining this sort of like which is interesting as we'll get into yeah but it's like you're combining this primal sort of just beating motion with with you know carnage and it's it's fucked up yeah they do say an interest in serial killers is a sign of a healthy mind so i just want to pre- right <laughs> preface that, that. Uh, people who are fascinated by serial killers are supposedly the people who are least likely to become serial so there you killers go. you know that if there's a serial killer in your neighbor it's probably that. not craig who knows <laughs> if that's true because you know i've also read things about serial killers who have talked about being obsessed with serial killers yeah. so who knows? who knows so i'm i i'm probably not going to be the serial killer if there's a serial killer who ends up in your neighborhood so i have no, no intention no um so yes let's set the stage Villisca, Iowa. Uh-huh. Which nobody At can picture. <laughs> the turn of the 20th century. A very sleepy town. Only about 2,500 people living there in the, in the spring of 1912. Very much sort of classic Midwestern Americana at the time, right? Everybody mm-hmm. knew everybody. Um, everyone... Uh, did everything together, knew everything about each other. And we have the Moore family led by patriarch Josiah Moore, who went by Joe, uh, who was a former farm equipment salesman. He had worked uh, for a business run by a man named Frank Jones. He became so successful at his job that he left and he established a rival business basically it was the exact same business that he was that guy he was that guy yeah that frank <laughs> jones was, was running and he took a um a lot of money with him like he took one of their clients was john deere 
and uh, Joe Moore took John Deere with him when he established his own business, and it caused a lot of tension um, between between the two of them. And I saw this in a couple sources where I was doing my research that it was so tense between the two of them that if they would see each other out and about in town, they like one of them would cross to the other side of the street so they wouldn't have to talk to each other. Same. Same. I just do that now because I don't want to talk to anybody. Yeah, no. Like, I don't have to have a beef with you. So people see me ping-ponging across the street because there's just so many people that I have It's just constantly. I just constantly go back and forth across the street. So Joe is married to his wife, Sarah, and together they have four kids ranging in ages between 5 and 11 years old. Now, um, on the evening of June 9th, 1912, uh, the children, oh, the whole family actually, I believe, was in attendance at a program at the local church known as Children's Day. And at said program, which involved all sort of, you know, fun, festive, Iowa town. Corn. Frivolity. Corn, I assume. <laughs> Lots of corn-based games. For the children. Uh, they meet up with two, two friends of uh, Catherine's uh, Catherine was the oldest daughter. I didn't was, write down. She was the oldest. She child. was. She was the second oldest child. She was second ten. oldest child, and she was the oldest daughter. And so they meet up with two friends of theirs, uh, Ina and Lena Stillinger, who were staying in town with their grandmother. And the the Moore girls basically invite them to to be hosted that night at the Moore house. Basically, what, what? we would think of as a sleepover. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, in short, it was a sleepover. <laughs> yeah. And the Stillinger girls accept because they're, they don't want to walk home to their grandmothers at night. So they accompany the Moore family back to the Moore house. So, just past midnight. Wait, before you, before you go into this, do you want to then... So, they go to the Moore house. Everyone yeah. goes to bed. Everyone goes to bed. Um, do we want to jump then to 7 a.m. the next morning? Oh, okay, yeah. When, um, yeah. Sure. For the sake of storytelling. Sure, I like it. Yes. Okay. So, on the, the early morning hours of, um, June 10th, 1912, uh, neighbor Mary, I wrote down her Peckham. last name somewhere. Peckman? Peckham. Peckman. Peckham? Peck Something like that. Peckham. Mary Peck P. Mary P. <laughs> Go. Wait, hold on. Let me find Peckham. my notes because I did write this down. I think That's it's... All. Okay. She wakes up at around 5 a.m., which was pretty standard <clears throat> for Monday morning at that time, Monday and starts Monday going morning. about her day. She notices the absence of the Moore family out and about the next morning. Um, you know, and they... From what I understand, right, the, the more house, chores, yeah, the more property, <clears throat> yeah, was was a farm essentially. Like they had a barn, they had chickens and stuff or whatever. And the ch the children and the parents would have been up by five a.m. to start doing chores on Monday morning. So she, Mary notices this and she she finds it to be very strange. She attempts to enter the the Moore house, but she finds that it's locked, which is unusual. Not just for the Moors, but just for anybody in Villisca and most people in America. Before the 60s, nobody locked their doors. <clears throat> the 70s rolled around with all the serial killers and then been, people started locking their doors. It would have been doors. considered extra. It would have yes. been like, what are you doing? 
So she finds this unusual, um, and she starts to sort of take care of the chores for the Moors. Her thought at the time was that um, there was some sort of emergency and that that would have required the family to leave in the middle of the night. So she starts feeding the chickens and, and, um, and doing some other things like that. Now, a little bit later, I think like Miss Mill, as you said, around 7 or 7.30, mm-hmm. Joe's brother, Ross Moore, comes over. He talks to Mary and finds out that she hasn't, she hasn't seen the family. She doesn't know where they are. Ross has keys to his brother's house. He enters the house. And do we want to talk about what he finds inside the house? Um, should I go? Should I keep going? Uh, we can, yeah. And then we can talk about basically. Okay. Yeah, so what he finds and then how we come to the conclusion of gotcha. okay. how it happened. So Ross enters the house. I, I saw conflicting reports as to whether Mary came into the house with him. It seems like she just sort of stood in the doorway mm. while he went inside. But um, Ross Moore enters the house. And on the first floor of the Moore house, there was, there was a wraparound porch, which had a front door and a back door, which entered into the kitchen. The kitchen led into the parlor. And off of the parlor was a first floor bedroom. So you can get a visual. So in the parlor bedroom, Ross finds Lena and Ina Stillinger murdered in their beds. Lena is partway sort of down and off the bed. Mm-hmm. Her nightgown is up and her underwear is off. She's covered in defensive wounds. And she's been... Brutally, brutally murdered. It lo- looks like she's been bludgeoned to death. Um, and there's a sheet covering her head. Her sister Ina is up against the wall in her bed, also murdered, covered in blood, with a coat covering her face. There is uncooked bacon uh, wrapped up in a cloth left on the floor, as well as part of a either a keychain or a watch chain that is laying on the floor of the parlor bedroom as well. This was later determined that this chain did not belong to anybody in the Moore family. Uh, A bloody ax was also on the floor of the parlor bedroom. All of the curtains in the house were drawn and windows that did not have curtains had been covered with sheets. Now upstairs where there were two bedrooms and a, and a small stairway to an attic, Ross finds um, in the main bedroom, his brother and his sister-in-law have been murdered in their beds, also covered with sheets. And the four more children who shared the other bedroom have all, are all dead in their beds as well. Again, covered with sheets. There's a lamp at the top of the stairs that has been left with, um, the way it was described, like there was sort of like a lid on top of like Mm -hmm. these old lamps I guess that they had that had been taken off and set aside um and so upon this knowledge Ross you know flees the house with Mary behind him and they summon the sheriff so what's gone on well nothing good yeah (laughs) um so I think maybe let's take a moment here and talk about sort of just what was discovered and um, maybe what was pieced mm-hmm. together because of that. 
So the <clears throat> the uh, the coroner determines that um, everybody, all eight people in the house were. Uh, were murdered while they were asleep, except for possibly Lena Stillinger, just because of the way she was positioned and being the only member in the house to have defensive wounds. It's thought that she woke up either during her own attack or her sister's and attempted to the best of her ability to fight back against her attacker, which I would say adds up given yeah. description of what we just witnessed. Yeah. No, not witness what I just described. <laughs> I didn't uh, see a thing. <laughs> yeah. Now, what's interesting, um, aside from that, um, oh, and just just a note, I don't know if this will make people feel better or not feel better because it's all just horrible. Um, it mentioned that Lena was found with her underwear removed. The coroner did say that there was no sign that she had been sexually assaulted. Hmm. So he either attempted to or, or something else happened. But... Um, I, I don't know. It's like, does that make us feel better? Probably not. Probably she not. was still really murdered. Um, so it doesn't matter. In terms of, so, so yeah. So go on to, um, I guess, basically, yeah. Continue, continue that thread because there is a, a horrifying discovery they make in terms of um, things that having nothing to do with the bodies uh, at a certain point. Yes. Sure. Sure. So, right. So the sheriff comes, the coroner comes. This is obviously like beyond what anybody in, in the town of Villisca, Iowa in 1912, whatever have expect to have happened there. And it's a particularly savage crime. The murders are incredibly brutal uh, because as the coroner determines, it is most likely that Joe and Sarah were killed first mm-hmm. with uh, blows to the head, then the children, then the Stillinger girls downstairs, after which the, he believed that the murderer returned upstairs to brutalize all of the corpses. Mm-hmm. Joe Moore was the only victim who was murdered and had his corpse brutalized with the sharp end of the axe, with the blade. Mm-hmm. And he had been struck in the face so many times. One of the things I saw that said it was 30 times that his... Um, his eyes didn't even exist anymore. Yeah. Like they had basically been axed into nothing. Sarah, the children and the Stillinger girls had all been struck with the blunt end of the ax, mm-hmm. which I thought was very interesting. And I think I've always found that fact about this case very interesting. But then the more I thought about it, I was kind of like, well, either he learned from what he did to Joe or this was an experienced killer. And he knew that it would be much easier to use the blunt end because, and this is pretty sick, but if you're using the sharp end, it's much more difficult to pull stuck. that out of the yeah. wall. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's like, and that's the thing. Cause it's like, if you take one aspect, you know, you can say it was a personal crime against Joe. Cause he was the only one who got the, the ax to the face. At the same time, you can say it wasn't that at all. And he just learned from the fact that who he started with, yeah, to to use the other side. So there's this is this is you know criminal justice in in 1912. You know it does not right. it does not exist. Yeah. Um, the investigation also turns up the fact that there are scuff marks on the ceiling, 
which they determined to have been from the axe, having been raised repeatedly so high and brought down multiple, multiple times. Um, as I, as I mentioned, everyone, everyone's, all the victims' faces were covered with blankets, sheets, or coats after they had been brutalized. All of the curtains on the windows had been drawn. All of the mirrors in the house were also covered with sheets. Mm-hmm. They also found in the kitchen a bowl of uh, lukewarm pink water, which helped them determine that uh, the killer had washed his hands in the bowl before he left. Um, and he had left with the keys because, as we know, the house had, was locked. Now, the, the most disturbing detail of the investigation came about when they started to piece together the order in which everyone had been killed, which was basically a sort of top to bottom, the master bedroom, the children's bedroom, and then downstairs. Now, one theory, of course, was that there had been the intruder had come in from outside and simply wanted to start with the adults, knowing that they would be the most likely to stop the attack. The other theory that they checked out was that someone had been hiding in the house which that theory gained a lot of credence when used cigarette butts Mm -hmm. discovered in the attic of the house. Yeah. Let's roll with that a little bit, shall we? So (laughs) how did um, that make us feel? Yeah. So basically the, the idea is that whoever this person was, they, while the, um, Moors were at church had broken into the house or in this case walked in since nobody locked their doors at the time, um, for whatever reason, came into the house, went up to this crawl space up in the attic, closed the door behind him, and just sat there and waited um, until the family came back, until the family went to bed, came out with an axe, and killed them all. Which is literally, you know, your worst nightmare. Like, I don't know about you guys, oh, but yeah. it, it's one thing to think, okay, like, you know, somebody's breaking into your house, someone's breaking into the windows, the front doors, what have you. The idea that someone is already there when you come home from wherever you are, waiting for you to just be in your most vulnerable state. Listen, I had an episode of sleep paralysis earlier this week, so, like, <laughs> this is the last thing I want to be thinking about, but that's it, right? You know, because you've, you know the idea that there's something already here and this harkens back all the way to that thing that I love to talk about uh, that I talked about a lot uh, when I did a a review of The Witch for another website is that um, in the olden days of of your of our um, at least for European culture the idea was that the farther away from home you get the more danger you are in Um, in terms of monsters, spiritual things, the forest, what have you. So to have something already waiting inside the house when you come back is just ancestrally, instinctually very disturbing um, to most of us. Yeah, and we've touched on this kind of talking about home invasion movies and, and this concept in other past episodes. Like, home is supposed to be the place where you're the safest, Yeah, you know, and... You go there yeah. and have a good cry. Yeah. And, and, and it's also especially disturbing, right, that, that they think he was waiting in the house because you can't deny that this crime was anything other than motivated for the murder itself. Yeah. 
It's not like it was a burglary gone wrong or something like that. You know, this was one hundred percent from the house. The textbook definition of premeditated, right? And that's what strikes me about, like, I was thinking about this as I was taking notes and doing more research and, and stuff. And this crime was both methodical and really, really sort of passionate and fury driven. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you don't see that a lot. I think that's a very interesting combination, almost of like combination of MOs, right? Yeah. Because there was clearly thought put into it with the, you know, lying in wait and um, the evidence that whoever did it stayed around in the house afterwards, most likely that they actually even ate a meal in the kitchen yeah. Or locking up and leaving. And but yet what was done to the bodies seems so rage driven, seems so irrational. Yeah. It's like this crazy crime of passion that was <clears throat> planned. Like it's like, yeah, you know, this person planned to go in and kill these people, but just went bonkers in the process. Yeah. Which I think is a good segue into talking about sort of okay, so the aftermath possible suspects dun, dun, dun. one person who was looked at right away was joe's former employer and now business rival frank jones he was at the time of the murders now an iowa state senator so he was kind of a hot shot and he was of course instantly suspected and the uh resulting sort of investigation into him ended up ruining his political career he actually uh, sued for slander and um, that went in his favor, but or it was like, well, you don't have enough evidence to say that he did do it, so you can't go around saying that he did. But there's also not enough evidence to say that he didn't do it. I was going to say, like, you have, like, you know, what is the court system? It's innocent until proven guilty, which is fine. Like, you're clearly history will remember you as innocent, but, like, also. Yeah. <laughs> But but also, like... That was um, the thing, right? Like, because this was before the time when we could actually gather evidence and pinpoint people. All you had really to go off of was motive. And if people are saying, oh, Frank Jones said X, Y, and Z at, you know, a restaurant or a saloon or what have you, saloon, at, um, you know, about Jill Moore, then that, you know, is enough in people's minds to say, you know, like, maybe he did it. Um, Maybe he did it. And who knows, maybe he did. History has not solved this crime. No, no, no. So, 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 so Frank Jones was looked at uh, very early on in the investigation, um, as well as uh, a large line of the investigation was de- dedicated to finding, because um, this is what many of the townspeople believed, some sort of deranged vagrant or tramp or otherwise person wandering through mm-hmm. um at the time Velisca had a lot of trains and was rapidly growing there were about 30 trains that came through the town on any given day so um and a lot of these trains carried sort of like wandering wandering okay. joes looking for work so this was a um a possibility one such person who was looked at was a man named andrew sawyer he had been hired over in the town of creston the morning after the murders by a man named Thomas Dyer and Dyer reported that during his um, short employ to sort of do um, basically farmhand work Hmm. um, that Sawyer was reading greedily on the murder, anything he could find in the newspapers or any reports that were coming through. 
And at one point, Sawyer told Dyer's son that he would tell him how the Velisca killer managed to escape town. Mm. So this made Dyer feel very uncomfortable, and he reported him to the, the Velisca authorities. So they looked into him, but they found that Sawyer had been arrested for vagrancy in Osceola, Iowa, around 10 p.m. the night before the murders. And he had been put on a train to get him out of town at 11 p.m. So he has an alibi. He had an alibi. He was just weird. Um, It's possible that he could have made it work, but given the fact that they think the killer stayed around and left, you know, sometime before 5 a.m. and with Sawyer getting his job at 6 a.m., it it wouldn't have worked. Um, Plus, I think... Like for me, and I understand why the townspeople would have wanted to pin it on a vagrant, right? Yeah. You hate to think that it would be one of your own. But the crime seems to me like the killer would have had to have been more familiar with the town, Mm -hmm. the church, the church schedule. I mean, the Children's Day program was not was not a weekly thing. That was a special sort of event that was going on. And to at least have been familiar with the house and the family. So the idea of a vagrant, I don't know. I don't yeah. buy that line of a... Uh, it's like a cop-out, right? Like, it's very easy to say, oh, it's the outsider. It's, you know, homeless Joe who ran into town looking for work in the mines or in a farm or what have you. Um, exactly. That's, you know, the easy way out. Exactly. Now, another suspect, sort of along that same line, but with a... Um, bit more closer ties to the town was a man named Henry Lee Moore, no relation to, to the victims. He had been suspected in a string of other ax murders that had been happening throughout the Midwest, um, in similar times. And, uh, Later, or was it later or was it before? No, I think it was after the Villisca Axe murders. I think it was shortly after Henry Lee Moore actually murdered uh, members of his own family with an axe in a crime that was very similar to, to Villisca. Um, that was a financially driven crime, though. So I think, uh, I think he was dropped as a suspect, but it is a little strange. Yeah. And the... Uh, Who was I going to talk about next? I can't, I can't answer that for you. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Uh, a man by the, uh, who I'm just going to call Reverend Kelly because I, I saw his real name listed as a lot of different things. So nice. I'm just going to call him Reverend Kelly. He was, Reverend, so Reverend Kelly was living in Villisca at the time. He was a traveling preacher, which I think at the time was just code for the fact that no church wanted him. Yes. And he was a known sexual deviant with a history of mental problems and mental breakdowns. After the murders, uh, he, had, he became obsessed with them to the point where he was writing letters to uh, members of the investigation, to members of the press, and even relatives of the Moore and Stillinger families. Now, Kelly was... Kelly was looked at because he had been on a train very early the morning after the murders, leaving town. And apparently he spoke to several passengers and told them about the murders, even though knowledge of the crime wouldn't have been public knowledge 
that early hours, morning. yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, what makes Kelly, what made them really want to look at Kelly? Well, you had that. He was left-handed, which based on the blood spatter, they believed the killer was also left-handed. Um, he had a strange history of sexual deviancy, um, trying to get women to pose nude for him, um, writing dirty letters to his secretary. But he was really, really short, like really short, even for the time. And with the scuff marks on the ceiling, it just didn't quite add up. Okay. However, Kelly did confess to the crime, but later recanted everything. So I, I don't know. What are your thoughts, Miss Mel? About him specifically or about? Him and just sort of like... Would you, I mean, like, would you have, would you have looked at him? Would you I have mean, said? I mean, I do. Would you ask the cops say in the dramas, would you have liked him for this? Well, I think um, the thing with characters like this, Reverend Kelly, is they always sort of crop up around murders like this. Like, there's always that one guy who's obscenely obsessed with it to the point where people feel obligated to say he might have done it, you know, it's not necessarily... I mean, yes, like, if people are... There's, like, timeline things, right? Like, how would he have known if he really was telling people on his train about mm -hmm. it? Was that true? Yeah. Was he really remembering um, images and, and, and events from the murders, or was he just making them up because he was so obsessed with it? Um, you know, it's one of those things where it's, like you can't tell what came first, the fact that it happened or the fact that he just read about the possibility of, you know, a young girl being sexually assaulted, an entire mm -hmm. family being murdered, and that just, you know, sent his brain into 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 crazy mode. Because this has happened in the past where people have come forward claiming to be the person oh, behind yeah. killings because they were just so obsessed with them. And, and It happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it actually happened with this case. Yeah. Um, uh, several years after the murders, uh, a pastor in Villisca named was Reverend Burris. He claimed that someone had given him a deathbed confession that they had committed the Villisca Axe murders. And so when Reverend Burris was questioned, he said that he had forgotten who told him that. Yeah. And I was like, how are you going to forget you're, something? You're not going to forget that. Like also, that. just look at the death records and pick which name jumps out at you. <laughs> Right? I mean, like, and this, you have to think about it, this crime was huge. I mean, it, the, it, it famously it knocked, knocked Titanic yeah, off the, off front, the front page. page. Yeah, yeah. The Titanic had sunk about two, two months exactly, actually, before the, the murders. Mm -hmm. um, and this was the story that moved it. And so, and that's another thing, too, like, can we really use the fact that, like, uh, Reverend Kelly and Andrew Sawyer were obsessed with this crime as something against them. I mean, wouldn't you be? We're talking about it now, and it's like, would they think exactly. we are a murder? You know, because that's the thing. Is it's like, holy fuck! Like Jesus Christ! Like that sounds horrible. We're geographically close to the area in which yeah. it occurred, so I think that would just. I don't. I like the fact that oh, they were obsessed with the murders. I was like, yeah, I probably would have been too. Yeah, it just so happens oh. that one of them was a sexual deviant. The other was just an outsider in the town. Was an outsider, exactly. Um, uh, now the, the last real suspect that, um, I could find in my research was a man named William Mansfield. Mm -hmm. He was an addict and a known criminal 
with connections to previous axe murders involving very similar scenarios. Pretty sure that he was a serial killer. Um, uh, a bunch of different cases that he was either questioned in or there was uh, questions surrounding his possible connections to to murders committed with axes or whole families were slaughtered involving um, lamps and uh, the water bowls mm-hmm. where the blood had been washed off, even sheets covering windows, mirrors, and faces. Uh, Mansfield did have an alibi. He was on a payroll in a, um, in a, uh, a business a couple towns over. Um, so that, that never really went anywhere. And, um, he was really sort of the last real suspect, um, which means that officially and still to this day, obviously the killer walked free and the murders remain unsolved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, everyone they kind of brought up either, you know, was a, you know, thought to be a nut who was kind of just in it because they were, there for attention or there for the obsession of the crime or they had an alibi. Um, mm-hmm. They had an alibi. Although I will say Mansfield did actually, uh, he was arrested two years later when he was actually caught um, for the, the axe murders of his ex-wife and her family. That's so what, so that's the thing, right? Like he seems like our most likely candidate, but it's like, sure it is. why, why? 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 Exactly. Because there's even, you know, because like everyone you've presented so far seems to have, with the exception of maybe the traveling um, reverend, everyone seems to have a connection of some sort. And I suppose even the Andrew Sawyer. Um, And it's so interesting because the movie, they play it off that it was the traveling reverend. Yeah. Which to me, like, and you were just saying like now, to us, he seems kind of like the least likely. Yeah. Yeah, he just seems like a a disturbed human being. And like they had a couple other like low level people who were considered suspects for a hot second who were related. Um, Joe Moore's brother-in-law, Sam Moyer, was claimed he was going to threat, like he he threatened to kill Josiah, you know, as brother-in-laws do. Um, But he had an alibi that cleared him of it as well so it's weird because it's like you know in your mind you're thinking you know okay does knowing you know it was William Mansfield or thinking it was William's man William Mansfield that that creates more questions than it than it answers because you're like yeah why why the hell would you Mm -hmm. you there's an interesting theory that possibly Mansfield had been hired by Frank Jones Mm -hmm. to do it almost like a hit. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, I don't know how conspiracy theory you want to get, but but it's an option. (laughs) It's an option. And that's the, that's the thing, right? Everything is an option because we don't know. And it's, it's over a hundred years since the murders now, which means we'll likely never know. Yeah, we will. We will absolutely never know who, who killed these people. And that's the thing, right? It's one thing to say you won't know who killed someone. It's another thing to say you won't know who axe-murdered an entire family and two guests after waiting for hours in their attic for them to go to sleep to do it. Brutal. And then cover their their faces and the mirrors in the house. Because that was a point that was brought up, too, in the Ghost Adventures episode where they were speaking with... And even in the the movie, too. Yeah. Um, But it's a a museum now, the house. Um, Right. 
And yeah. basically they discuss, you know, that this killer, whoever he was, um, covered all the, you know, the mirrors. And it's like, you know, what does that reveal about you? The fact that you murdered, what was it, six people eight. or so, eight people, yeah. most of them children. Six and then, children. And then you covered all the mirrors in the house before you left. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, covered their faces too. There's some, there's, and that's what I think beyond the fact that it's just a horrifying ordeal makes this case so interesting because there's bits like that where it's like you covered it. And if it is William Mansfield, he's done this before. You know, you're you're covering your victims' faces after you kill them. You've covered the mirror so you don't have to look at yourself. Uh, it's insane. And it's it's creepy and crazy, which begs the question, you know, why has nobody looked into this in terms of, like, you know, artistic adaptations and that sort of thing? Not to say I want to glorify, you know, a, the brutal murder of a family, but this is, but no, this is but... a story. It's a yeah, it's a, it's a story, and it's it's a fascinating story, and what you can do with it from all sorts of different angles. I mean, even now we're just sort of skimming the surface on the the psychological implications, right? Yeah. Of covering the mirrors and you know the sheets over the bodies and leaving behind the weapon and yeah, because it was and and staying to have food. Yeah, was, like it's Eat you know in the house. and why the bacon? Why was the bacon on the floor? And yeah, yeah. Why were these things stuff. left on the floors if you left in a haste? If you had time to sit down if and he, wash yeah, your hands and make yourself food, mm-hmm. um, lock up the house. Yeah, you lock the. How did he lock the house? And then he left. Like he it's, left. It's crazy. Um, yeah. to think about. And, and creepy and disturbing. It's literally Oh and and it was it was Joe Moore's axe by the way. It was the axe that belonged to the family. Yeah, okay. Um which I was thinking about that and it was a uh, it's kind of like another level of disturbing, right? Because 1912 Iowa pretty much probably 1912 anywhere an axe is going to be incredibly commonplace yeah. at the time. I mean you have it on next someone's to porch the, in yeah. their backyard in the barn, which means this killer if it was a one-time thing, if it's a serial killer who this was their modus operandi, they didn't have to carry the weapon because yeah. they knew they were going to find it anywhere. They got where they needed to go. Yeah. No, it's like it's it's like a perfect storm of just crazy details that at you know you've got this quiet town, you've got farms everywhere, farm equipment everywhere, weapons accessible. You've got this place that you know does not lock their doors, everyone knows everyone, you've got this event where everyone in town is going to be at church for an extended mm-hmm. period of time. Um, it's crazy. It's like, you know, it's, you know, was it entirely, was it that premeditated? Was it half premeditated? Was it just a decision to, to do it? Um, you know, because it's one of those things where it's like, people generally tend to get caught for murders because they have a reason to kill somebody or they have a reason mm-hmm. that they believe, you know, there's always something linking someone to someone, you know, whenever right. a woman turns up, they dead, always start with motive. Yeah, Who had a motive? Whenever a woman turns up dead, the very first person they look at is the significant other. Um, that's when anybody just, turns up dead, when anybody turns up dead, but like yeah. traditionally that's the thread they pulled that in, you know, gone yeah. girl is that it's always it's the closest. Yeah. It's always the significant other. It's always the husband. It's always the boyfriend. It's always the girlfriend. It's always, you know, the spurned lover, what have you. 
Um, but something like this. I mean, it was a personal connection. Maybe it was Jones trying to get revenge on, on, uh, on Joe Moore. Um, Maybe, but but the whole family, really? Yeah, and the two girls who... And if it was a hit, why was it so brutal? Yeah. And if it was a hit, it was it was Iowa. It wasn't like it was like the streets of New York or Hoboken, New Jersey or San Francisco or something where these things were, you know, you expect these things. It was a farm town in Midwest America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it gets really interesting when you start doing some research and it's not really the point now and we don't really have the time for it, but there's a lot of strange connections with other ax murders that were carried out around the country, sort of in the same belt of the country um, from the late 1800s through the early 1900s and possible connections there, even a possible Mm. connection to the ax man of new Orleans, Mm. uh, another famous serial killer and, I'd love to get into that sometime now. It's not the time. <laughs> Maybe we'll do a, a serial killer question. series. Yeah. Um, we feel, yeah, no, no, it, it just, it, it's, <laughs> it's disturbing to say that these sort of things fascinate you because obviously there are people who are in, you know, who are brought up as suspects in this case who are fascinated by it. Um, and, but, you know, there's a, there's a sociological thing here. I mean, you know, murder is against instinct, right? Because if you go down to the, you know, what people say the most basic instinct of human beings is, it's the survival of the species. And here you are, you know, hacking Going to bits the other members of your species. Um, and I think that, that might thing? be the sort of instinctual thing that disturbs people about murder. And the subconscious is that it's... The destruction of self. It's the destruction of like person or like being um, when what drives everyone at the end of the day in the very core of their being, according to, you know, sort of evolutionary psychology is the survival of the species. Yeah. It's that fascinating thing. I'm not sure who said it or where it's referenced, but that... um... We're so fascinated by murder because murder is the only crime where you ask why. Yeah. Everything else we understand. Burglary is committed because people you are want greedy. To steal something. Yeah. yeah, people are greedy. You know, uh, uh, you know, every other crime has an obvi- as, a, as a, an answer to why. That's built into the crime. Yeah. But murder is the only one where we we say why. What's the motive? Yeah. What compels you to do that? What compels you to destroy another human being? Yeah. Which is a whole other can of worms of things that have been looked at in, in the world of fiction, the world of writing in general of, you know, what sure. what causes people to do something like that. You know, in Harry Potter, you've got the concept that murder is unnatural, that it is a crime against nature and doing it will fundamentally change and and destroy you know your you at your core and that sort of thing um so it's interesting and i think that's kind of why people look at serial killers because it's the ultimate why why did you do this and why did you do it repeatedly um Mm -hmm. and it tends to always be for the same reason whether you know for one reason or another it's always the same repeated 
you know, need. And what we kind of talked about when we, because we studied serial killers in my AP psych class all, you know, many years ago in high school. Um, and we all, you know, <laughs> we're ashamed to admit that was our favorite section of the AP psych class was studying I serial wouldn't. killers. <laughs> but basically, um, uh, where was I going? Was it the why? Crap, I had a point to this. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Fuck me. Um, so basically, all right, so let's recap. The why. The serial killers. Fuck, I had a... I, I They're had the a, hardest to get a reason why on. No, that was... I had something to say that we had discussed in class about why they do what they do, and it's gone now. Wow, that's sad. I don't hate you tonight. I got. I know. I'm gonna be so pissed off. I got off track defending myself um, from. You'd be like, we have to record again. I'll be like, no, we're not doing that. uh, The serial killer love. Um, not serial killer love, but the interest of defending myself in the interest of serial killers. Um. I. I mean, I think I don't. I mean, I don't think. I think it fascinates a lot of people. I think it fascinates more people than we might think because it is sort of a taboo subject and it's a dark subject. Mm-hmm. And I think people are, are, you know, they get nervous expressing yeah, and, and someone's going to look at you and be like, oh, well, are and you true a crime, killer? And I was like, especially if I was a serial killer, serial killers, I yeah. wouldn't be talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But, um, but now just to wrap up real quick with uh, Velisca and the house and, of course, you know, the movie, which takes a very big supernatural bent to that. Yeah. Now, does that have any credence? Well, let's see. So the house, as Ms. Mel mentioned, still stands. Um, it, uh, it had uh, eight residents between 1912, between the murders, and uh, 1994 when it was purchased by uh, Darwin Lynn and his wife, who restored the house to what it looked like in 1912. It is now a museum that offers tours as well as overnight stays. Absolutely fucking not. Nope. Um, now, the eight residents and their families that lived there between 1912 and 1994, so, uh, some of them have reported strange occurrences, but none of these reports came out until after all the residents had moved out and after um, the house had been restored into, a, or had been made into a museum. So mm-hmm. take that for what you will. Yeah. Um, some of those reports that I could find were hearing the sound of children crying, um, seeing the shadowy figure of a man with an axe at the end of the bed. I would be gone. I would be gone instantly if I saw that. Yeah, no. Um, shoes moving or falling over or filling with blood. Apparently that was something that happened. Um, when Ross walked into, uh, the main bedroom, he, he knocked over a shoe that had filled with blood, I think from the repeated carnage that had happened there. Um, ghost adventures did an episode there. They picked up some things on EVP. And what I thought was the most interesting and probably connects the most to the movie is that in 2014, um, there was a, a recreational paranormal investigator doing one of these overnight stays there, and at uh, around one in the morning, he uh, he stabbed himself, mm-hmm. or and then later said that he had been com- compelled to stab himself, or something else drove him to do that. 
So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, take all that stuff with, you know, a grain of salt for what you will. Obviously, the most, uh, among the most controversial topics is, you know, the the claims of a haunting in a house. Um, If any place was haunted, though, I, I would not blame that house. I, whether it's haunted or I not, it. would not be staying there whatsoever. I live no, I would go on a tour. I would go on a tour. During the day. I live currently in a house where a man died um, immediate to before I moved in. It was of natural causes, though, and I have yet to experience any sort of, you know, phenomenon. That being said, if someone said to me, eight people were murdered in that house before you moved in, I would be leaving. Yeah. So. Yeah. For sure. Um, for sure. No, yeah, uh, Colleen, Colleen lives in a house where such, <laughs> she wasn't the, the f- most immediate, she dropped this on me one day. Her new apartment? No, her, her, oh. her home back at, at oh, home. Oh, yes, yes, you're right. Oh my God, her, she wasn't the, oh, her I forgot, family. Oh, I forgot about that. Colleen, we're calling you out. I am. She wasn't, her family was not the most immediate people to live in the house after this, but basically one of the previous owners of their house committed like a murder-suicide after the, somebody was caught cheating on someone and someone freaked out and killed the, the, the spouse and the lover and then themselves. Absolutely not. Would not be living Absolutely there. Absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> no. Absolutely no. Yeah. So. And I would not be staying overnight in the Villisca house. No, I will go there for a tour in the bright daytime with several In the bright daytime, and I will make sure that it's still daytime when I leave. (laughs) I'm going in the middle of the day. Yes. (laughs) Noon is the preferred time. Exactly. So. But you can see why Everybody knows ghosts go to take naps at noon. Yes, ghosts. Nothing bad comes out during the day. It's lunchtime. (laughs) Ghosts have to eat, too. Um, But, yeah, you can see why this would, you know... This would make such a story and you know you ask yourself you know why isn't it more of a story there's only a couple of random little adaptations of it and and episodes about it on various a couple other shows. podcasts have talked about it yeah it seems like it kind of has a fair amount of attention on the podcast circuit but yeah, like, because people are like what the fuck why aren't we talking about exactly why are we talking about it exactly but yeah but like tv movies hell even a play would probably work really well yeah oh a play uh-huh. would be horrifying Horror yeah, theater is yet to be a thing that grounds itself, and I'm waiting for that day. Yeah. So. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is the Velisca Axe Murders, the true story. True story. Um, compare and contrast with uh, the lovely movie we all just watched. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, I mean, they like. They take the tour, and they get, like, some of the facts. Yeah. Obviously, the intense supernatural stuff and, like, the... Like I I said before, they they sort of run with the narrative that it was Reverend Kelly... Yeah. ...who was responsible, which is obviously just speculation for the sake of their story. Yeah. That's the thing, too, is which... Who do you think did it depends on, you know, what kind of story you want to tell or what kind of story you want it to be. Because um, revenge is, you know, I think easy to say, oh, it was revenge. I can't necessarily say that's why you end up killing the rest of the family, but that's like something yeah. you you get more than saying there's just something disturbed in in this mind of a person who had nothing against these people. It just maybe they were the person they saw that day. So 
Oh, oh my God. I remember what I wanted to say about AP Science. <laughs> yes. It's perfect. This is what we'll end on. Okay. So basically the, 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 the thing about um, this and serial killers and the way their brains work and the way these sort of awful things end up happening and sort of the mentality, right? The idea that there's just something, you know, that drives them to, to, to kill people and kill mm -hmm. who they kill for, you know, whether it be like they have a thing for blonde people or women or young boys or right. what have you is that, um, the, the human brain is like anything else, right? So you mass produce something, you mass produce a million Apple computers, one or two in those one million order of computers, there's going to be it's something be just wrong. There's going to be something just built wrong in it, wasn't glued in correctly, is loose, what have you. It is the same exact thing for the human brain. Um, that's just the way it works, is that sometimes these things just, you know, there's, mil you know, in every million of people out there, there's one or two, there's something just not right. And that's not mm -hmm. to say that people are um, irresponsible for their actions, that they were just born wrong or that anyone's born wrong or what have you. But it's to say that sometimes these things just go wrong. Like there's something in the brain that's not functioning. There's something that's not putting out the chemicals it needs to put out or it is putting out too much of the chemical it's supposed to put out. There's just something that doesn't function right. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, that's an interesting way to look at it, but also, you know, does that make it any better where you look at the human brain and the human body as a machine to say something just went wrong, um, which I think is a dangerous way to look at all of it. Um, but, you know, if you take that lens and then dig deeper, you know, into these things, you might find, you know, Maybe there is something that can be done about this, or maybe we can pinpoint the place where where this starts, where something goes wrong like that. Um, but I always thought that that was an interesting thing where they were like, you know, you can pick apart the brain of a serial killer all day long, as Clarice certainly attempts to do, <laughs> but sometimes things are just not, not where they're supposed to be, or there's something missing, and it's kind of like Twin Peaks. <laughs> um, yeah. Where, um, you know, Diane makes the point that just there's something not there, um, you know, and it's, you know, it's fascinating. I think that's why a serial killer will always be more scary to me than Dr. Doom or Harvey Dent yeah. or, or the Scarecrow or sure. any of these, you know, these supervillains you can cook up. So, I agree. Yeah. Because they're... Because you're me. They're a monster, but you're, they're a real monster. Yeah, you're me. You're just me not quite right, right? That's it, you yeah. know? That's that's the scary thing about serial killers well, and, and, and murderers. Yeah, and then the, also the perpetual fear of what if I, like, what would it take for me to become yeah. not quite right? Yeah, and you're sitting there and you're thinking during the day and you think, like, a random intrusive thought and you're like, oh, fuck, like, is that, mm -hmm. does that, does, do normal people, like, is that, and then suddenly you're panicking. <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know. And you're WebMDing your weird intrusive thoughts. Your um, weird intrusive thoughts, yeah. You're like, wow, I like, I, I really like that guy's elbows. Oh my god, <laughs> am I gonna start slaughtering people for their elbows? <laughs> for their elbows? Um, but yeah, I'll be the elbow killer. Oh no, oh no. I hope they come up with a better name. I know. 
So, yeah. Velisca. No, like that you've said it enough too, you think, wow, that's a fucking creepy name. <laughs> I, you know, I was going to say that before when we were starting. I was like, doesn't Velisca just sound like a place where an axe murder would go down? Yeah. And it was. And it was. Maybe it was fate. Mm-hmm. Cool was, fucked up fate. That was the real, the real villain here is that they lived in a place called Velisca and it just did. It was bound to happen. Twas destiny. Yeah. Well, kiddos, we hope you've enjoyed the uh, the true facts to um, sort of uh, go hand in hand and sober you up from our, our booze and booze. Be on the movie. lookout for our It Super Special, which Ooh. is coming up. Book, miniseries, new movie. It's going to be epic. It's going to be huge. It's going to be fucking terrifying. It is because it's a really fucking long book. <laughs> it is. And... By definition, so is the miniseries, because yes. it's a miniseries. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and um, while, you're, while you're waiting for that, be also on the lookout for all of our new fun uh, rebranding things that will be coming your way. The new logo, um, the book club announcements, the newsletter up and running. You Send can, us your emails. Yes. And you can, wanna... Yes, I will do that. You can get ready for the book club if you want to read Final Goals yourself. Yes, start reading Final Girls by Riley Sager. Who is a pen name for someone I have not discovered the identity of yet. Um, But yes, so social media where you can send us those emails should you so desire. Or anything else that that, that pops into your brain. Um, On Twitter, SplatterChatter666 minus all the vowels. Or just search SplatterChatter. If that's too difficult to hear, we will pop up. Um, SplatterChatter666. Nope. Splatter Chatter 666 on Instagram, splatterchatter.tumblr.com on Tumblr, splatterchatter666.blogspot.com for Craig's blog, and then Splatter Chatter 669 for emails to send thinky thoughts and all sorts of things. Absolutely. And if you've got a minute or two, head on over to iTunes and give us a rate and a review, maybe. Maybe. Um, Only if you have nice things to say. I have nice things to say. <laughs> And uh, can you review on SoundCloud? I don't, I don't really know. Not really. You can like really. on SoundCloud. You like can, us on SoundCloud. You can hit a little like. You can also follow us on SoundCloud. Like and follow us on SoundCloud. Um, get in touch with us on social media. Be on the lookout for the the logo, the newsletter, the book club. Uh, the everything. Patreon. Everything. And until we see you guys next time, be sure to keep up the creep. And we will say au revoir. Adios. Das ist mir